You see, I'm a... This might weird you out a little, but just calm down. I'm a... You see, when, when you read Scripture, um, God promises you that he would give you a helper to help you understand it. Right. Here I am. No. Holy, Holy Spirit, yeah, I'm just... I don't want to interrupt you. I just, I'm just kind of here, here to help guide you a little bit when you're, you're saying, you said you're reading Psalm 139? I am. Man, that's an awesome prayer. Good. Don't let me, don't let me interrupt you. Just go ahead, and, go ahead and go. Search me, God, and know my heart. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Problem? What are you doing? Searching you. Isn't that what wow. you just said? Look up here on the screen. There's a, I think, I've got something for you. The Holy Spirit can't even make technology work, but it's okay. What, what I have up here, if they ever get it up there, is the, it's like, there it is. It's an x-ray. That's your chest x-ray. Mine? Yeah, you see that little shadow down there? Yeah. That's your, that's your heart, dude. Look at it. Look, right around... I mean, I, I hate to point this out, but, man, there's a lot of junk around there. Wow. I mean, I'm not talking like health. I'm talking like spiritually. I mean, there's just a lot of, you, you have your check, you, why don't you get it? Your checkbook. There you go. Here, look. I mean, if we kind of look through here and see Whoa. where Whoa. you're, you know, where you're spending your money. Yeah. I mean, is that possible that that's going to tell me a little bit about your heart yeah you have a calendar on you i mean how you spend your time okay. where you're putting all your energy i mean i mean you're you asked me to search your busy. heart right but you asked I me have obligations i understand but you asked me to search your heart right right okay well go ahead continue just go on test me know my anxious thoughts okay now it's funny you say that because i've been keeping this journal you know what this is no <laughs> you're gonna like this no you're really actually not it's um it's every that, it's whoa, every thought whoa, you've whoa, ever whoa, had whoa. it's every thought you've ever had this is private well I, yeah is it okay if i just read a little bit no <laughs> i'll do better i'm sure you will but i mean you did ask me to to test you and to know your thoughts, right? Yes. I mean, like I'm seeing here that, you know, that time when you lost your job. Wow. You know, over here a few I pages. I, I understand. I I'm just I'm just looking at what's here, man. I mean, you know, that time, that season when your marriage was kind of going through some rough times. Oh wow. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not trying to beat you up over it. I'm just I'm just saying you asked me to test you. I did. And when I test you, this is really what I'm looking for. I'm so sorry. Not to mention it's kind of light. <laughs> just kidding. Um, okay. Sorry. I'm not here to harass the people who are studying. Go ahead. See if there is any offensive way in me. Okay. Seriously? <laughs> okay, well, let's get started. Um, whoa, 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 no, whoa, just, whoa. no, just, I'm not going to hurt you. But 
you asked me to see if I see any offensive way in you, and I'm just going to be straight with you, okay? Okay. I mean, I know that, you know, you've had a hard time with people, you know, just dealing with people that are of other races, right? People who are maybe even different income levels than you. That's just been a real struggle for you. Wow. You know, I know it has, and, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm, sh- I'm showing it to you. Wow. I mean, I know this is hard, but I do see you and the time you're spending on the computer late at night when you don't think anybody else is looking. I mean, I'm just, you asked me to share if I see any offensive way in you. and But I wanted you to limit it. Well, you asked. I did. Go ahead. Lead me in the way everlasting. Seriously? Say it again. Lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, you realize what you're saying, right? Yes. You want me to lead you in the way everlasting? Yes, please. You see this book you're reading from? Yes. It has everything in it that you need. Everything? Everything. This has everything that you could need to know how to walk in righteousness, how to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. This has everything you need in it. Here's the thing, Jamie. I appreciate the fact that you're standing here reading it. What I want to know is if you're going to start doing it. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus begins to reveal to the world that being a child of God is not a religion, it's a relationship. If you're following your bulletin today and want to take notes, start with that. Start by filling that in. Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, he's using the Sermon on the Mount, it's the beginning of his ministry, where he is beginning to reveal to a world, this is a brand new concept to this world. To understand that being a child of God is not merely something you're born into. It isn't a religion where, you, where you, you're given these rules and you're asked to follow the rules. It's where God is coming and saying, it's so much more than that. I want to have a relationship with you. I want, when you open my word and start reading it, I want it to be more than just reading a book. I want you to understand that I'm standing right here talking with you and communicating with you, and trying to help you see this. Studying God's word, and understanding his ways. Like one, Psalm 139, if you are willing to pray that prayer, be ready for him to answer it. Be ready for him to be standing there, and share with you the things in your heart that you need to hear, the things you need to understand. Is as, as uncomfortable as that might be, and that's how Jesus starts And and that's the purpose behind the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he wants you to see. He wants you to see that this is about having a relationship with him. It's not just about following a list of rules and commandments. As a kid, my family, 
I remember the days when we were younger, and my sister and I, and we have another sister, uh, I remember the three of us and my parents would all pile in a car, and we'd be getting ready to go to Florida on vacation. Good times, good times. And, and so we'd all get in there, and, and I remember before, we'd all get in the car, and before we'd even pull out of the driveway is when my dad would lay down the law. Okay, it was Andy's Law. Okay, and that was my dad's name. Andy, Andy would lay down the law. And I remember he really only had one commandment that we had to follow. Okay, there was only one commandment, and, and, he, and this commandment was given to maintain the general peace and happiness and tranquility of the family on the next, on the, for the next six hours that we're going to be trapped in this car, this, this station wagon with the wood panel on the side. Okay, this is, this is the law. Thou shalt not touch thy brother or sister. That was the law. Thou shalt not touch thy brother or sister. And so we would then all agree to this. And, and, and the law had a few addendums to it. Not now, not ever, not at any point, not for any reason. You do not touch your brother or sister. Don't do it. Okay, Dad, let's go. So we'd pull out and we'd be riding down the road. And all would be well until about Macon. Okay? Because Macon was about the point in which my Richard Marks cassette tape needed to be rewound. Okay? <laughs> And so it would have to be flipped. <laughs> Those of you born in the 80s get it. Okay. But uh, the, my cassette tape on my Walkman and my little puffy headphones would have to be turned around. And my sister would be sitting there happily brushing the hair of her Barbie doll and minding her own business. And that would be the moment when I got just bored enough that I needed to, you know, stir things up a little. And I would reach over and I would, I would, be, I would do this. I'm not touching you. <laughs> and that, she would uh, she'd put up with it for a minute. But then it was just like, stop touching me. I'm not touching you. It was like a Bill Cosby routine. This is exactly what it was like. So then after a couple of minutes, she would then yell up to where my dad could hear, you know, like 30 feet up in front in the station wagon. You know, Dad, Daryl's touching me. He won't leave me alone. And I'd say, no, I'm not. I'm not touching her. I'm not. I'm really not. Now, do you think my dad appreciated the fact that I was following the letter of the law? I was not maintaining the general peace and tranquility. I was not falling under the general intent of the law's mission, purpose, right? What I was doing was I was following the letter of the law, but I was doing exactly what wasn't intended. I think a lot of times we're guilty of breaking God's law in that way, if we think about it. Sorry for sticking my finger in your eye, David. This is... This is what Jesus came to reveal to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'll say this. I'm not going to recite from memory today. I did memorize it. Okay? And if you want me to prove it to you during immersion, I will. But right now, I'm not going to take up time during the sermon. But man, the memory part of this has been so awesome for me. And I hope some of you are doing it too. Because it just, it gives you the, it, I don't know, it gives me an understanding. It gives me something to recall. It gives me a better, deeper understanding. I, I just does. Scripture memory is important, guys. And, uh, and I'm not going to shy away from that. And I know, uh, you know, I don't know how many of you are trying it. Don't think of it in, oh, I've got to memorize three chapters of Matthew. Just think of it each week. Just memorize that section. Spend some time on it. Meditate on it. Put it in your heart. It's just a challenge, okay? I'm not going to test you on it or anything like that. But that's just a challenge I'm putting before you. So do that. But anyway, what we're going to do, we're, let's get started on uh, Matthew chapter 5. Let's jump into the next part of the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we talked about murder and, and, that, and anger and hatred and how that 
pours in our life. Today, we're going to go into a much more interesting, fun subject, adultery. This is going to be a lot of fun to get into. And so we're just going to dive in, adultery and divorce, and we're going to deal with some of these things. And here's the thing. Andy pointed this out last week during immersion. He was interested in what I was going to preach on. And, you know, and he was just like, the one thing I love about preaching through Scripture like this is you can't skip stuff. You know, you kind of got to deal with it all. And so we're going to deal with it all today, and, and, I, and I hope you can take some things with it today that will encourage you, that will help you understand what is the heart of the law behind thou shall not commit adultery. And, uh, and we're going to start. So read along with me, Matthew 5, 27 through 32. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's jump into this a little bit. The heart of you shall not commit adultery. Now, here's adultery defined. Adultery defined is this, and I'm not shying away from the words. Voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and someone other than his or her lawful spouse. That's the technical definition of adultery. But from Jesus' perspective, I want you to think about this. We cannot claim to be righteous while playing a game of I'm not touching you with our heart. Especially if we're not really seeking to please God with our pursuit of righteousness. You understand what I'm getting at? The seventh commandment from Exodus chapter 20. You shall not commit adultery. Today I want to look at a few aspects of adultery that Jesus brings out. And I just want to be honest with it and I need you to kind of take it in. Uh, some of these things, I'm just going to be honest with you, uh, based on where you're at in your life, your understanding of marriage, your understanding of divorce, your understanding of, of sexual immorality, might be challenged a little bit today. And I just want you to be open. The point of this message, and I don't believe the point of Jesus' message, was to condemn. I think it was to encourage. It was to clarify. It was to help people understand the intent of God's law so that they could choose to go forward living on it from this point on. And so please take it that way. If you hear something today that maybe goes against what you've understood in the past, or, or maybe, it, maybe it just rubs raw an area of your life that you didn't want rubbed raw, be open, to, be open to hearing that today. Let's start with this. Adultery is more than a physical act. Adultery is more than a physical act. What is, what is lust? Jesus then goes on to say, it's not just about committing adultery. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. And there's always that question, you know, is it okay to look but not touch? You know, we, you hear guys, you know, I'm, you know, I can, you know, I can peruse the window, but, you know, leave the goods alone. You know, all the different euphemisms we might hear there. Proven Men's Ministry and Barna Group did a study just this last year in 2014. Uh, and this is what they revealed that 75% of non-Christian men and 66% of Christian men. Now, if, you're, if you can't see numbers roll well in your head, 
That is three-quarters of non-Christian men and two-thirds of Christian men, when asked, will say that they have looked at pornography at some point at least once a month. Okay? Three-quarters of non-Christian men, two-thirds of Christian men will say that once a month they have looked at pornography. Only 6% of non-Christian men, only 3% of Christian men will say that they never, ever look at pornography. You know, I don't want it just to be, I don't want to associate lust just with the most extreme. We're talking about what, what the role pornography plays in your life and, and in our culture. Because it's not even that extreme necessary, necessarily in a lot of cases when we talk about what lust is. Where do your eyes, men, go on a woman that's attractive when she goes by? Where do your thoughts go when, when you're checking a woman out? Look, you need to think about this. This isn't anything anybody else could possibly know about you. But when you stand here and say, search me, God, and know my thoughts, he knows exactly where your heart is. He knows exactly what you're thinking when you look to the side, when you take the second glance, when you notice something, when you linger a little too long on a web page, or when you're even seeking it out. It's time that we're honest with ourselves and understand that when Jesus, when the commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery, Jesus is saying, I want to know what's in your heart. It's not just a man problem, ladies. The same study found that 32% of non-Christian women and 15% of Christian women view pornography at least once a month. That number not, is not nearly as high as it is for men. And we understand that, that lust plays a completely different role for men than it does in women. And we're, and we're created differently, but it, it doesn't take away the fact that lust is still a very real problem, even in the lives of women. It's something that, that all of us have struggled with at some point or another in some shape or form. And it's uncomfortable. Some of you are getting sweaty just listening to me talk about it. And you don't like it one bit. And I understand. I don't like talking about it either. But where do your thoughts go, ladies, when, when you see a good-looking man? Does it cross a line that you can no longer claim that your thoughts are righteous before God, that they're pure in your marriage relationship? No one else can answer that question but you. That's not the kind of thing any of us can know just by looking at you. But you know that God can see in your heart. And are you standing before him saying, I want to be righteous before you, God, but let's be honest, it's such a struggle for a lot of us. How do we get past this struggle? How do we get past this when we're facing it? Ephesians 5.3, we read this just a couple weeks ago, let's look at it again. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Matthew 15.19, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and some of his disciples in the same issue here. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality. Jesus makes it, makes, it, makes it very, 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 very clear. Not just interested in you following the letter of the law and not touching things. He wants you to follow the heart of the law. He wants you to have a heart that says, I want to be pleasing you to God. Now listen, these are places, I'm just, I just was thinking as I was preparing this message this week, I started writing down, where are some places where I know lust is a problem for me? And probably for some of you too. 
that where it's, it's tempting, where, where it's there, and it can capture my heart. Because listen, if we want to be aware of something that's distracting and causing me to stumble, I need to think about where is it that I'm stumbling to start with. Here are some places. The most obvious is, is our entertainment, our media, our technology. We're living in a sexualized culture. In our fashion, in our clothing, in the way we dress. In the way we dress and the way others around us dress. Those are sources of lust. You know, sometimes, and this is for the ladies, and this is something to think about too, is, is the way you dress possibly causing someone else to stumble. I think sometimes we don't understand maybe necessarily the role that being overly flirtatious or how we respond when someone is flirtatious towards us. Do we encourage it? Do we find it flattering? Do we, do we engage it in any way? You see, these are things that, as uncomfortable as they are, we need to talk about. We cannot put ourselves in the tempting or even suspicious-looking situations if we want to be able to overcome and avoid lust. And so here's a question. How do I overcome lust in my life when I have all these? And I'm not giving you all the examples. But man, there's so many out there that could draw us away from him. How can I deal with it? How, when I'm feeling that pull, maybe there's someone that, that, I'm, that I work with or that I see often that, that maybe our relationship's just starting to cross some boundaries that it shouldn't be. Maybe I'm seeing things. Maybe I just find my eye going to the wrong place when I'm in mixed company. How do I deal with this? Philippians 4.8, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, don't sit around with an empty mind that's ready to be captured by the next thing that comes by. Spend time focusing on God's Word. Spend time on prayer. Be intentional. Listen to this. Be intentional about setting some boundaries and standards in your life. Determine, determine in your own heart, this is the line I will not cross. I'm turning the TV show off when they cross that line, when they say that word, when they go this direction, when they're talking about anything sexually immoral. I'm just going to draw a line. I'm going to get up and walk out of the movie theater. I'm going to delete the song off my iPod. Not because, not because I want to look like some kind of prude, but because I just simply want to protect my own heart. I want to be able to stand before God and say, I uphold this righteousness and I don't need anything distracting me because I'm bad enough on my own. I don't need anything else pulling me away. I don't need anything else causing me to step closer and closer to the edge. When you're feeling tempted, spend some time, stop and just say a prayer. God, please help me. Know my heart. Protect me. Share your passwords with your spouse on your computer, on your Facebook page. You know, give someone in your life, and I can't say how important this is, give someone in your life permission to call you out when they see things that aren't appropriate. Give someone in your life, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, someone. Have that conversation and say, you know, I'm struggling with this, and I want you, I might, I might be defensive, but I want you to call me out. When you see me maybe stepping over some lines, when you see me watching something or listening to something I shouldn't, when you see my eyes glance a certain direction they shouldn't, when you maybe see me acting a certain way in a relationship with someone who's not my wife or my husband, give someone permission to call that out. 
I'm not giving you every single thing in the world that's going to help you overcome lust. I've just given you a small sampling of some tools. Here's the point. If you don't take action, you can't fix it. If you don't decide, I want to be pure before God in my heart, when it comes to lust, when it comes to, when it comes to anything sexually impure, if I recognize that there's somewhere where that's a struggle, I've got to do something to deal with it. Because if I ignore it, I guarantee you it's never just going to go away. Why did Jesus make it a big deal? Why did he make lust equivalent to adultery? Why did he say that these two were in the same sentence? Here's the point. Jesus is saying, stop sin early. While it is still in the heart and before it becomes a full-blown deed, it costs less to address the root of sin early on than to carry the weight of the consequences of the sin fully developed. You understand that? Isn't it so much easier to say, yeah, I'm struggling with this, this is a thought, I'm going to deal with it now, rather than wait until I've crossed the line, until I've done something that I really regret, until I've done something that really does carry some heavy consequences with it. Jesus is trying to protect us here. He's not trying to make it harder for us. It's easy to look at the Sermon on the Mount and see Jesus saying these different things and giving, explaining these different rules. And like, well, thou shalt not murder. Well, I say, don't be angry. Don't carry grudges. Well, it sounds like Jesus is trying to make it even harder. If it wasn't hard enough just to follow the basic rules, now Jesus is making it even harder. That's not the point. Jesus is saying, I'm not trying to make it harder. I'm trying to make it better. I'm trying to help you understand. This isn't just about following rules. This is about the heart that honors Christ. And if you nip sin in the bud early on, then you don't have to deal with the, the devastating consequences of it later. It's just wisdom. That Jesus was a wise guy. You know, I think it's interesting here that Jesus goes on and he, he, he calls on us to, to gouge out an eye or to cut off a hand if it causes us to sin, and says it's better to cut that off and lose that part of the body than it is to go into hell because of it. And I want you to understand here that Jesus is using a device we call hyperbole. This is not Jesus calling on us to mutilate our bodies because of sin. I don't think Jesus had any intention of that at all when he was saying this. What Jesus was saying, he was saying, do whatever it takes to deal with sin as quickly and dramatically as necessary. It's better to face the battle now in the heart than to face it later when the consequences are real and when they're severe and when they've done damage. Deal with it now. The second thing that we've got to deal with when we talk about adultery is this. The heart of adultery is this. Marriage is more than a legal arrangement. Marriage is more than a legal arrangement. And I need you to hear this, okay? And, and, and I want to take a look over into the Old Testament because a lot of times people want to say, well, you know, and right now we've got a debate going on in our culture about what the definition of marriage really is. And, and, and you know, man and woman? Is it okay to include homosexual relationships in marriage? Should that be, you know, how should the church stand on that? And, you know, and then the debate goes from there to saying, well, if we, you know, if we're going to start rejecting this sin, but accepting this sin, how, you know, that just makes us a bunch of hypocrites. You know, if we're going to start condemning homosexuality, but we're going to still ignore the people who are gossips or adulterers or slanderers or whatever, you know, how does that make us? And that sets us up to be caught. And this is a big debate. 
I know it is. And I'm not really interested in engaging a debate on this, but I am going to say this. We can go to Scripture and see exactly how God defines marriage. We can go here and see exactly what God has to say about this. And we can apply it to our lives. This isn't, when we talk about this next section of Scripture, this is not about hating people. This is not about taking a particular lifestyle or a particular sin, whether you're talking about homosexuality or divorce or anything else, and to say, we hate those people, they have no place in our church. That's absolutely not the truth. We want to open our arms wide to anyone who we can share the gospel with. But we are not going to back down from saying this is what Scripture has to say about it. And we encourage you to hear what Scripture has to say about it and let God's Holy Spirit speak to you about it. And our hope and prayer is that you will come from here where, where you're living a lifestyle that goes against what he calls us to live in Scripture to a place where you know you're loved by the church, not hated, and where you can say, I need to make these changes in order to be right with God. And that is the hope, no matter where you are in your life. And, 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 I, and I understand, the second that we say blank is a sin, if it happens to be your sin, the first response is, well, you're being judgmental. Get out of my face. And that is not the case at all. We are going to stand on the truth of God's word. We are going to say, this is what Scripture says is sin. And we love you enough to tell you that this is what God calls sin. So without any further ado, let's look at Malachi chapter 2. Let's look at verses 10 through 16. And in this section of Scripture, the prophet Malachi, speaking on behalf of God, is defining marriage. What they're doing is he's using marriage as a comparison to Judah's relationship with God. Okay, Judah being the, the tribe that split off of Israel. Okay, Judah's relationship with God, he's comparing it to the marriage relationship. This is from the message. It says this, don't we all come from one father? Aren't we all created by the same God? So why can't we get along? Why do we desecrate the covenant of our ancestors that binds us together? Judah has cheated on God, a sickening violation of trust in Israel and Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the holiness of God by falling in love and running off with foreign women, women who worship alien gods. God's curse on those who do this. Drive them out of house and home. They're no longer fit to be part of the community no matter how many offerings they bring to the God of the angel armies. And here's the second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Do you know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest detail of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. The God of angel armies says, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourself. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. Now, there are a few things I need to point out 
that I hope you can see out of this passage. You see, God, like I said before, is comparing the, the relationship, his relationship with Judah to the marriage relationship. And he's clearly defining the covenant of marriage for us. What he's saying is this marriage thing is more than a legal agreement. It's a covenant between one man, one woman, and one God. We cannot ignore a few truths that have come under attack in our society. First is this. God clearly states that he is the creator of marriage here. He invented it and he alone gets to define it. He defines it as a covenant between one man and one woman. There's no other definition given or even hinted at anywhere in Scripture. When you go back to Genesis, when you look here, or when you look at anywhere else in Scripture, it is never hinted at that it is anything more than a covenant between one man and one woman. Second, God, and this is one I think that we all need to hear, even in our married relationships today, God is also a part of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. Think about this. God expects to be a part of every little piece of your marriage relationship. Every decision. Every problem. He is the glue that holds it together. He is the judge and the witness that intends to hold you to your vows to each other. Third, that we need to understand out of what we see in Malachi chapter 2, a covenant is deeper and more intense than a mere legal agreement. God takes vows seriously. God hates divorce. He hates broken relationships. Divorce, get this, divorce is never a part or desire in his plan. I need you to understand that. God never wants to see divorce. He hates divorce and he hates broken relationships. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But the fourth thing is this. To live in a relationship that mimics marriage, but has not included the covenantal vows between a man and a woman and God, clearly falls outside of God's plan for the family and for righteous living. God wants all couples to enter into the covenant relationship with each other and with him. That is how he designed it. It's a call to say, if I am at this place where I am living in a relationship that looks like a marriage and acts like a marriage, but hasn't taken the vows to say, God, we want you to be a part of this marriage, this covenant, and putting it all together, that is outside of his plan. And it's simply a call to say, examine your heart. If I want to be righteous for God, he's made clear what his design and plan is for this. He's calling on us to trust him. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let me repeat it to you. He said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Those are some strong words. Especially when divorce is so prevalent in our culture. And I know that there are many in this room here today who have experienced the pain and, and, the, and, the, and the violent division that takes place in divorce. What Jesus is referring to is he was talking to the disciples here and to the Pharisees. Is he was referring back to Deuteronomy 24, chapter, one, chapter 24, verse 1. It was a law, it was a Mosaic law, and it said this. It said, if a man marries a woman, I'm not going to read you the whole law, but just the first part of it. 
If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from the house, and then it goes on to talk a little bit more about if a man wants to divorce his wife, these are the criteria that must be met. What the Pharisees were doing is they were taking this scripture and they were using it as a reason to give anybody and everybody a reason for divorce if they came to the Pharisees and they did what the Pharisees wanted. I don't know if they made them pay a fee or, or whatever they made them do, whatever hoops they made them jump through, but then they gave them a divorce and they would give it to them for any reason. And the Pharisees had basically taken this law and made it their own. And they'd say, well, okay, Moses said divorce is okay. Okay, make a certificate. We'll give you a reason. What Jesus is saying, they've totally missed the point. The reason for the Mosaic Law was not to give an open, re, an open opportunity for divorce. It was to protect women back in that patriarchal society from abuse and, and from men just using them and then dropping them and leaving them without there being any consequence, without there being any legal recourse. It was a way to protect people. It wasn't just to open the door to say, okay, anybody can get a divorce who wants a divorce. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, God hates divorce. Only in the case of, of sexual immorality should it even be considered. And Jesus was a gift this. Jesus wasn't saying, okay, if there's sexual immorality, then it's okay to get divorced. He wasn't giving us an open ticket. If there, What he's saying is only in the most extreme cases of unfaithfulness and unrepentance, then, then it's understandable. But you need to know before you go into it, God hates divorce. He hates, and he doesn't hate people who are divorced. He hates divorce. He hates seeing broken relationships. It breaks his heart. He designed us to go into this one flesh union with someone and to never have it broken until death do we part. That was his desire from the beginning. And there's no other way to talk about it than that. The last phrase about remarriage after divorce being adultery is uncomfortable. And it's difficult for a lot of us in here to hear. And listen, like I said before, the point of this passage and the point of this sermon is not to beat people up about the past. Nor is it to accuse anyone if they've been divorced of living in ongoing sin and adultery today. The point is to highlight the importance of the marriage relationship and how much God hates divorce. And he wants us every single one of us right here and now to take our vows seriously and to not even allow the word divorce to be an option, to not even be words that are spoken from our lips in our marriage relationships. God desires you to keep your vows, to honor your covenant with him, and to reconcile your relationships. Now, understand this. You can't change the past. Thank God for his grace and thank God for his mercy that we don't have to continue living in guilt and shame because of our past. God desires you. God desires you starting here and now to see you pursue righteousness in your heart, in your relationship, and in your marriage from this day forward. And that's the third point I want us to make today. The heart of adultery, the heart of thou shalt not commit adultery is this. The pursuit of righteousness begins with repentance now if you know what the word repentance means it means a complete heart change it means to say I was going in this direction and I recognize that that's against what God wants I'm turning around and going in a completely new direction we are called to live in repentance of our sin 
You see, there was a situation in Acts chapter 17 where Paul was speaking to the people of Athens. And these people had all kinds of false gods, and they had no idea. They were, very, they were an intelligent people. They were educated, and they had all these different gods. And Paul was trying to proclaim to them the message, the good news of Jesus. And he says this, In the past, in verse 30 of chapter 17 of Acts, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And I know that the same could be said for us today. You see, I think what's happening here is, is maybe we've all come at this from a lot of different directions. And we have our society telling us things. And some of us have experienced things in our relationships that have been hard. And maybe, maybe you went through a divorce 30 years ago. Maybe you went through one last year. And I don't know the circumstances. And I'm not here to talk about circumstances. All I'm here is to say, let's understand the heart of what God was saying about divorce He hates divorce. He doesn't ever want to see relationships damaged. Now let's just say understanding that there are sometimes sometimes when a completely unrepentant and unfaithful heart can't be brought back. And God understands that, but it still breaks his heart all the same to see a union of one flesh broken. And he's calling you today to say, look, you can't go back and change the past, but you can start today living for the future. You can start today saying, I want to be right with God from this day forward. I want to do what he's called me to do. I want to try to pursue righteousness in my life from this day forward. And that's the call. That's the thing we've got to understand. I just want you to to think about this last statement here. In all of your relationships, including your relationships with God, with other people, with your friends, and in your marriage, This is always true. God always desires reconciliation. Pursue that with all of your heart. If you do that, you will be understanding what the heart of the law, the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery means. Man, that's a lot to talk about today in immersion, isn't it? Okay, good luck. I just want to put this in front of you as we sing an invitation song today. We're going to sing the song, Greatest Thy Faithfulness, one of my favorite hymns. And I love it because of the message, not just because of the singing. But I love that message, his faithfulness. Guys, you might be coming through the Sermon on the Mount feeling a little beat up because of your past and some things you've been through. He's faithful. He loves you. He wants you to pursue him with everything you've got. Today, we're going to sing this song, and you're going to have an opportunity to to respond to this message in some way. You can come forward and pray with one of our prayer partners if you want. If you need to give your life to Christ, let's start that conversation. You've never committed yourself to him. If you'd like to join this church, come forward. Let's have that conversation. Let's talk about it. But respond to the message you've heard today somehow. Don't leave here today without addressing what God's putting on your heart. Pray with me. Father, thank you for opportunity to to come here into this place and to, to worship and the, to, to sing songs together and to, and to laugh a little bit, but God, to look at your word and understand that what you're calling to us to is, is a righteous relationship with you. We're going to fall short. We know that, but God, that's where your grace and mercy comes in. But God, we want to pursue you with all of our heart. God, I pray if there are relationships in any of our lives right now that are damaged and broken or, or not where they need to be, Uh, compared to the standard you've set before us, God, I pray that we will be convicted to move to make them right, that we will not take another step forward in our life until we've made those relationships right. Now, God, God, please move us in that.
Let us respond to what we've heard in Jesus' name. Amen. Please respond somehow. Stand up. Let's sing this song, Greatest Thy Faithfulness. Respond however you need to.